0: We start Galatians four today. <laughs> I love it. It's absolutely amazing and incredible the message that Paul brings to you and me around what we are living in and for and around. And it's surprising. It's not what I would think it is. We ended last week with this. This verse is sort of the theme coming in to this week's message and he's going to end sort of this whole section in verse 11 that we're ending with today so the end of chapter 3 said if you are christ's then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to promise you say well that sounds great dex i don't really know what it means exactly but it sure sounds nice i'm glad that i'm an heir according to promise (laughs) i say no this is the most amazing news ever and it's surprising not so much that you're an heir, that God would value you, but that you're an heir through promise. I tried to think of an illustration, trying to bring it out today. and I mean, it's so amazing and radical and new with no concern for who you who you are or where you're from or what you've done. You're God's treasured possession. So I thought of it like this way, and I'm sorry if it's TMI for you, but man, I can't eat at McDonald's anymore. I like McDonald's. But my doctor said, you're killing yourself. You've got to eat more vegetables. So now I go to the store, and I go through and I look and I figure out what beautiful, lovely vegetables I can eat. <laughs> I pick out a few. I make them. I, I like them. They're good. They're, it's, it's totally awesome. But you know what? I think I am eating my vegetables so that I'll get something. I'll get I can't do that other thing anymore. And I'm telling you, we think our Christian life's like that. We think it's about, don't eat at McDonald's anymore. You go to the store and you get organic produce. Your life will go better. You will do better. And in fact, this is God's plan for you. But wait a minute. On the one hand, there's a little issue for Dax in that. What's the issue, Swanson? Well, when I go to the store to get vegetables, usually I toss in a little something else too, (laughs) can only eat vegetables, you know, man should not live by bread alone. <laughs> and so I, I, I kind of cheat because you can get some stuff at the store that aren't, aren't perfect. And the other thing is this amazing message of the gospel. What is it? I am an heir through my good vegetable choices. No. God says through promise. I, I, God says, I don't care how much you ate at McDonald's. I don't care how much you ate at the store. I don't care what vegetables you chose. I don't care how you think that you're getting to me, but you think that you're keeping everything okay by doing the right choices and we're caught in this mindset. And the breaks in, Paul says, it says, no, wait a minute, you are an heir of God. If, and the if isn't like, well, if you really are. No, the if is since, since you are Christ's. Oh, I've come to hear this amazing news. It says, therefore, I'm an heir by God. Promise. And we saw last week that it's God's promise to Jesus. God promised Jesus, you. Whoa. But I haven't eaten my vegetables. No, it's not about the vegetables. Go ahead. You might feel better eating vegetables and not McDonald's, not to impugn McDonald's for those who love McDonald's. Happy meals are, well, I don't know. They seem kind of sad to me. <laughs> But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's not the issue in any sense for anything you do. It is about the promise of God. And are you an heir by promise? We have trouble grasping that. We're so caught up in it, Paul knows it. And so this piece that he goes through today is, and I've called it, no turning back this upside down gospel that surprises us and says it's so different than the world when the world is giving us elementary principles and knowledge all the time of how things do work and how things ought to work and we even buy in. I buy in. I work hard to know the word of God so that I'll have something to say. I work hard. I start to value the working hard. I start to think that's what God's after. I'm stupid, but I do. I need this message from the scripture to help my heart remain steadfast that I am an heir and I'm an heir of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a son and you can be a son or daughter of God because of Jesus. Oh, it's the most freeing news you can ever hear. And that's what we're after today. But so you need to bask in the news of adoption and and then you need to know the allure of slavery, of slavery. That's what we're going after today. First, there's news of adoption. Yeah, I know. I struggled over a cute kitty picture. It's going to distract you. We all need to adopt that kitty. It's a beautiful kitty. But but, but, but we're, 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 we're the kitty. We're the nothing caught in, in, in this cage. And look what Jesus has done. So this is what he goes after. So chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So so do you get what Paul's saying here? He just gave you this amazing thing that you're an heir of God by promise, and this is so amazing. But let me make sure you know, says Paul, it doesn't look like that. An heir is the owner of everything, he says. But don't be surprised that you can't really see it, right? This is super helpful because I have a tough time of thinking of myself or, boy, I look at you. Sorry, I always look over here. I look at you guys. And I think, you guys own everything? I know that's not true, that I ought to judge that way. But but I, I, I can't not believe my eyes. Boy, if it is true that we're the world owner of everything, some things need to change, and I want to make a change. But it's like this, says Paul. Like when you're young, even if you're incredibly wealthy, incredibly blessed, simply by being who you are, you don't get to exercise any of that until you mature. And so that's the setup he's doing, right? What's the setup? The father is in total control. And say that again, the father is in total control. He's got the wealth, he's got the managers, he's got you set up, he's got the plan. He's has everything set up to go. And and that's the idea, right? The reality is about the father all the way through. And so this illustration and really he's it's not some some just pie in the sky illustration. He's talking about you and me. How do I know that? Because that's what he says. In the same way we also, I'm talking to Gentile believers like you and me, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay. Everyone starts here, you know. What do you mean? I mean, everybody starts enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I mean, God knows your name. God knows you're his. God will put you in Christ, which is your hope. He really has you. But you start out like anyone else. And that's the description of it here. Enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We'll get more on this in a minute. He, he's going to use this term again. But see it right away. The law kept us there. So that's this whole idea of the law. The law's purpose is not to save you. The law's principles to limit you and keep you uh, there to prevent you from causing too much damage while you were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, it didn't free you from them. Indeed, we use the law to back up the elementary principles of the world. What do I mean? So usually when you without Christ, take Christ away. And you say, Okay, I need to what's the elementary principles? Well, how life works, how the world works. He's not referring to the law. That's what held us in check. He's talking about your fundamental way of living. So, so what the principles might be uh, to me as I think it through and think it through yourself. People argue, well, he's talking about Greek gods. or talking about that. I think it's more elemental than that. Elementary. He's saying how you live. How do you live? You scrape by to get what you need. You gather and work to get what you need. And, and, and the other flip side of that is things that are more powerful than you, you appease or attach yourself to. This is the world. I mean, if you're going to get anywhere, it was going to be by your effort and your connections. Those are the two things. And, and so this is sort of what elementary principles of the world are in life. They boil down to e- even the laws. We have the law of entropy. Yeah, I want to overcome it, so I work. I make effort to get the things that I want. If you don't you die. If there's a higher power out there and it's say it's the element of fire, well I'm going to appease that element, I'm going to do the things that control it so that it blesses me. Like well, that's what I do. I've gotten to see that in different cultures in my own life, so I testify practically to this. In China, right, the the way that you get by is that you, you keep your relationships clean, so you do favors for people, so they'll do favors for you, especially people who are more powerful than you. In, in Africa, you are desperately trying to scrabble out life by working in the field so you can grow something enough that you can eat, and and then you're trying to use your connections to find somebody that might bless you. It's just life. Life. It's not the law, but I said the law helped that. Why? Because the law kind of put this this stamp on how you should act while you do these things. Like you should obey God. Why? Because God is more powerful than you and you want him to bless you. Therefore, you use this list of commands and obedience and he'll bless you. That's how life should go. They're good things. They're fabulous things. But you're using it in a system of you depending on yourself to get what you want. And we do this all the time. I say I will not shop at McDonald's shop. I'm not going to buy that Big Mac. I'm going to go to the store and buy kale. You say, why in the world do you eat kale? Because it's so good for me. And look at the choices I made to preserve my body. That's what I do. I'm using a silly example, but we don't have to use that example. You can use just about anything we use it to get where i want and what's happened what's happened to you and me is something broke into that system right something our story is something very different oh <laughs> that's what i'm saying you've got to get amazed at the reality of adoption <laughs> because when the fullness of time had come paul says god sent forth his Son, it's a different story. To redeem, uh, born of woman, he was human being, this God who was also man. He had born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. This is incredible news that the father, when the time had come for the inheritance to be revealed, for the sons and daughters of God to be identified, he didn't elevate the powerful. He sent his son born under the law. This means under the old system, right? The power of the old system. Uh, Paul uses this under word uh, all through Galatians this way under the law in, ch- in chapter 323, under the curse in chapter three, verse 10, under sin in chapter three, verse 22, under a guardian in chapter three, verse 25. So, so under, under, under it, it, you're kept. It's like a, 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 a restraining. We were under all of this. We were underwater and here comes a new era. Jesus Christ comes to redeem those under the law, to free those who were kept captive, striving after these elementary principles, uh, keeping the higher power appeased by what we do. And instead, instead, the freedom of the announcement. We receive adoption Sons and daughters. That sons is sons and daughters. It's not talking about guys. It's talking about relationship. You've got a dad. What amazing news. He has done it. He adopted you. Paul is the only one who uses this in the New Testament. And he uses it a lot in key passages. Romans 8, 15, 23, chapter 9. Ephesians 1, we read this morning. And so it's this idea. Adoption is right. of all. This is the Roman idea of adoption how they did it. They all previous family ties and obligations are broken. Hear that, broken. And, 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 then, and then all previous financial obligations settled. And then seven witnesses were needed because you were becoming part of a family that couldn't be broken. So if the father actually died, then the witnesses would testify, no, he's part of the family. He's in the family. He gets the stuff from the Father. Paul is clearly, very clearly, divorcing what has happened to you from your law keeping and all the ways that you're thinking that you're keeping God at peace. And he's saying there's a whole another way. It's the way of Christ. It's away from the principles that we think run the world. The law held you captive and you continue to be a slave in this way of living that comes so naturally to us. Elementary principles, but Jesus came and adopted us. And so my entire hope with yours, my entire hope is in adoption. Have you been adopted by God? Are you in his family? Yeah, I'm in his family. How? By the promise he made to Jesus. He did it. All of a sudden, you know, life is so different. I, I think of, I was going to show the clip, but I've already showed it here. I love this clip in the Chosen where Jesus kind of walking by, and he turns back, and he says, hey, you, Matthew, son of Alpheus." And Matthew's back behind. He kind of goes, one, how do you know my name? Two, why in the world would you call me? And Jesus says, I want you follow me. The most amazing thing ever for you and you and you, if I could sit you down one at a time, we say, you realize God has chosen you. Do you realize that God has blessed you? Do you realize that just by trusting this amazing message that Jesus has done it all for you? You say, well, well, but I got to make sure I still shop at the organic section at the supermarket. Well, that might be great for your body. That's cool, but your salvation and who you are and what everything about you is about the promise that you're adopted in Jesus. And all of a sudden, r- real life is different than what you thought. Who you are and who God is towards you, receiving this truth of God for you. This is the actual work of the Holy Spirit. What you do and talk about the Holy Spirit? Paul does. Look. And because you are sons, by promise, what Jesus has done, we accept and receive it. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Oh, that you would see this, that the work of the spirit, the, 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 the supernaturalness of what's going on, is that you actually hear that Jesus Christ has come and he's done it all, and the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and you say, Dad. That's the cry, intimacy and relationship and being a beloved child is, is the work of the Spirit. And it's, not, it's, not the, it, it, it's, it's not the stuff you bring to God as evidence that you've, you've done for Him or that you can do. It's nothing of that. It's just amazing receiving that He's done and the Spirit comes supernaturally and that's what He's doing, right? It's really important, the work of the Spirit. Not just here. This is this, this echoed a lot of different places. I, I think here, here, here it is in Romans: "For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God." Well, I want to be that. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What's that? Fear-based living, man. If I don't, if I don't do the right things, if I don't, if I don't act the right way, and other people, I don't make sure that they are too, then we're going to get toasted. <laughs> but you've received the spirit of adoption as <laughs> sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. You get what the Spirit is doing? He's giving you confidence, assurance that you're really Christ. What is that assurance? God the Father promised God the Son, and you received that assurance. Notice what I didn't put in there? Anything you've done. Any way that you've lived or not lived. Any sin that you've done or not done. Any any problems that are still continuing to afflict you. Any things that are still managing to be thorns in your flesh. All these things, right, have nothing to do with, with the Spirit of God saying, you realize you're God's. Oh, and if you're a child of God, you're an heir. You're in his family. This is the relationship that we're in and therefore therefore Paul ends this paragraph in Galatians with saying, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, not through yourself. Right? Therefore you're no longer under the limiter holding you in a cage while you're enslaved to this elementary principles that the world has. That's the reality, and the Spirit testifies to you. You're blessed and loved and treasured forever in Christ by God, your Father, connected not by law keeping, directly, directly, directly you're connected by Jesus. That's what I got. That's our message. This is not new news. I hope. I mean, it's the essence of what Paul's been talking about in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and now here in chapter 4. We get it, right? He's ending this section of the letter, and the essence of what we get is adoption, which means freedom, which means forgiveness. A dad who adores you, oh, and he happens to be the rule of the universe. (laughs) There's a danger. We're not quite done because there's a twist this amazing good news, we should all be like rejoicing. I, should, the, the room should be filled with hallelujahs. We should be like rolling around. I, I get it why some churches, they're waving flags and rolling in the front of the church. Because the news is that good. And we're all like, yes, indeed. Here, here, good news. What's for lunch? It's like, no, this is awesome. And I, Okay, I'm not going to flip out up here. Don't worry. But I'll tell you there's a danger. What's the danger? The danger is the twist that we sometimes want to do. I always want to. I'm always tempted in this way. What is it? I'm tempted to go back. You've got to know what's out there, says Paul, the allure of slavery. I, I, I know it's un-PC to even say the word these days. I'm not referring to our nation's history I'm referring to every single one of us who've been a slave to these principles of the world. You have. You say, well, I didn't worship any Greek gods. I don't believe in Zeus. Not about that. You are bound to think of God and your relationship based on how you're doing. And have you appeased him and have you done enough? It was, it was horrible being bound in this slavery. And that's what Jesus freed you from. He says, no, trust me in all I've done for you. So Paul says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so the idea, keep, keep, keep the gods or whatever powers happy by what you do. They may require gifts or worship or your work or money. You give it uh, or other powers, earthly powers, keep them at bay. Serve those who are powerful. I tell you, I tell you, we we take verses like this, we just cut them out of the Bible because we're like, well, I'm not foolish like those guys. I don't I, I don't serve idols or false gods. The issue isn't the gods. They aren't even named. The issue is your and my propensity to go back like a dog to his vomit, like, like we can't believe the news. Because what he says is, but now that you've come to know God, or, or, or rather to be known by God, <laughs> how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Oh my I love how he starts with that, don't you? Now that you've come to know God, I think, oh, well, well, but that's up to you. Now that God knows you. So cool. The good news of your life is that you're known by God. By the way, known by God means he knows everything. He knows every sin you've ever done. He knows everything you ever hide away from everybody else and nobody else knows. He knows it all. he, He adores you in that. That's, that's the good news. Your heart receives forgiveness and the good news that Jesus died for you, you're free and forgiven in Him and the Spirit produces this cry. Dad, I don't deserve you, but I'm actually an heir, owning everything with you. Because my dad says so and he adores me. In Christ. Forever. You know what I want to do? I want to take this good news and I want to go back. Right, to the weak and worthless, that's what he calls them now, weak and worthless elementary principles. Like keep God appeased by my obedience to a code. Like, well, you know, God saved me, but what he did so, so that I would accomplish these things and I got to get to work on it. If I don't, then he's going to spit me out. That's just using God as your sort of higher power and you continuing on in the elementary principles that you were like bound to originally. You want to be a slave again? <laughs> it's like this. Okay, so I was a doctor, right? So so, so there you are with the dog, with a sick person, with, and, they're, and they're, they got pneumonia, and they got some sort of sepsis. And, you know, 100 years ago, well, we're not, we're not what you used to say. Let's get some blood out. Pull out your scalpel. You put the bowl there. You cut the wrist. You let the like a half gallon of blood come out, and, you know, maybe that would do it all for him, Get him well. Today's medicine says, are you crazy? You're killing them. You give them an antibiotic, and you give them the antibiotic, and they get well, and, they, and, and they're fine, and the, the, the pneumonia gets healed like that, and there you go. And, and, but how weird would it be if then you said, no, no, wait, I think that, that antibiotic is not really what I want. Let's, let's bleed instead. Let's go back and start emptying the blood of sick people because that will cure them. No way. You'd be like, you're so stupid. That's what Paul's saying. That's not the way. And But often we can't get over our proclivities in ourselves to make our relationship with God about our appeasing Him, our works, our sort of so-called obedience, because there is an obedience that's of faith. It means trusting Jesus. Instead, I'm about my behavior so often. Instead of trusting his adoption of me like he's proclaimed it, that's the promise. And incredibly, keeping the law brings you right back under this. Like, 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 I, I kind of leave the law out of that. Usually I'm like, no, it's just me and my own heart and just, I'm trying to keep God. But but Paul's idea is that if you go back to law keeping and that's your marker for you, that, that, that's, that's the same as paganism. Wait a minute, Dex. No, no, follow me. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What? What does he mean by days and months and seasons and years? He's not talking about the pagan calendar. He's not talking about Halloween. What is he talking about? He's talking about keeping the Mosaic law. It's reasonable that they would. Why would you eat McDonald's? I'm going to go get the organic section right days and months and seasons and years this is the sabbath days and the months of jubilee and the seasons of first fruits and the special feast days he's talking about the old testament calendar that's his example of don't you dare Devotion to the law as a means of keeping covenant with God is going back to a weak and worthless paganism. So well, Dax, I'm not sure that's the context. okay, I'll let you look it up at home, but you go ahead and look up Romans 14:5, Colossians 2:16, even all the way back to Genesis 1, 14. This is why he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I'm scared because I received a promise, but but now I'm now he's saying that if I if, if I keep doing stupid things, that, that I'm gonna lose my salvation. <laughs> no, this is a rhetorical argument. Everything is by promise, he says, and when you decide it's not by promise, that's when I have a lot of concern for you. But I still trust God and his promise. But what are you doing? This is a rhetorical slap in the face. Wake up! Stop it. Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Going back to elementary principles. Merit for heaven. Your actions for getting you to really be God's. This is way more dishonoring than you know. There is no turning back. There is no turning back to thinking the law is so helpful to produce the good behavior that God desires. It has no power for the heart. No turning back. That doesn't mean stop being a law-abiding citizen. You do realize you're still living in this world. The world works by elementary principles. You live by the elementary principles for success in the world. Got it. It has nothing to do with your relationship with the God who saves you. Because he saves you by a promise to Jesus. And Jesus paid it all. Here's one author, I just want to read a short quote. The law won't help us. It won't help us orchestrate the future. It isn't powerful enough to change the hearts of our children. It won't enable us to obligate God to bless us because we won't keep it. Even if we work and work, it isn't the pathway to his blessing. He's told us what our work is to consist of, belief. Believing in the work of Jesus Christ, which he's already done, the Father wants us to rejoice in his beloved Son and rest in him alone. That's because it's just the truth. What the law tends to do then and what it does to us is it brings back shame and guilt. Because if you put that in there with, with just the promise, with just the assurance, if you put that in and say, Dax, I, I get what you're saying. It is all by Jesus. But now I also feel like we need to do these things as as a both response to and and covenant obedience for God to attain what he wants, then when you fail, or more logically, when other people fail, you will judge them. You'll bring in shame and guilt. You'll bring in fear that they're not really saved. You'll bring in all these things that Paul says, what the promise of God does is expel those things, but we bring them back. We don't need to. It is finished. Jesus Christ has done it. This is the truth, right? We, we, we started with this. If you are Christ, and it should be a sense, because dear people, if you're in this room and you trust in Jesus for your salvation, you are Christ. The Holy Spirit supernaturally coming in and helping your heart cry out, Abba Father, you are Abraham's offspring. Not because you've kept the law, but because of the promise. We are heirs according to promise. That's not scary. That's a sense. Faith in Jesus means the Holy Spirit calls you forth. Abba, Father, you have it. And I encourage you today, no turning back. Oh, no turning back to thinking you can have relationship based on your efforts. You're an heir, the owner of everything. And so testifies the spirit. Watch out when people promise a better relationship through spiritual formation through your works, no matter sort of how spiritual and awesome they might see. You mean, Dax, wait, whoa, whoa, Dax, you mean I can't pray or read or do good works? Of course you can. Do them in gratitude out of your heart. Do them. Don't think it gets you anything. It's a response to the promise. You say, yeah, I want to. Go for it. But don't go back to thinking that you don't already have the best, that maybe you can control God by keeping these elementary principles. He can be a divine blessing dispenser if you show him how earnest you are. He already knows every single thought you ever have. No turning back to judge, oh, that person's far from God because they're not doing the things that prosper in this world. You don't know the things that prosper in this world have nothing to do with God's promise. The Holy Spirit saves fools. I know that. Not just because I'm looking at you. Because I have a mirror. The Holy Spirit saves fools. I'm such a fool. And he works separately from these elementary principles of the world that are so reasonable to us. Abba, Dad. Oh, he's already looking at you that way. Don't spit in his face. Know that he adores you and you're his forever. And He'll shape you as he wants to. He will use you for his fruitfulness. You have entered into the death of his son and he will resurrect you and receive you in glory. Amen? The great move has happened. Jesus Christ has freed us and now we wait for the king from heaven. We don't return to the broken ruins of our world with new principles to restore it. We have a whole new relationship in the unbreakable promise of Jesus Christ for us. <laughs> I can't wait for it all to become right, but that will only confirm what we know already. We are his. And I will end with this. We read it this morning in Ephesians. Say, so how can this be? It's because God in Christ is predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. Don't get caught on predestination. That's not what this is about. This is about it's God for you, not you for God. He has done it. It is finished. If you would receive it, oh, the work of the Spirit, that your heart might be softened to hear this today and rejoice that you're an heir of God by the promise he made to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Oh, you've done so much that we don't even understand. Oh, that we can even taste for a tiny moment the depth and breadth and width of the love that your son has for us. Thank you, Jesus. I say it, but in my heart, I struggle to believe that you're for me. Help us to live out of who we are Help us to see you as you are. And Lord, we ask this by your spirit given to us. And in your precious name we pray.